This is Joel Spolsky, the host of the Stack Overflow podcast. Our podcast depends on listeners like you, who aren't you because you're already listening, and we need more listeners like you. We don't have any kind of fancy marketing budget, so please, if you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you. I love nerds. Is there a difference between a geek and a nerd? Ugh, this is a classic yeah. question. <laughs> that sound was the answer right there. <laughs> Okay. One answer is you can be a geek about anything. Nerd implies <laughs> usually a narrower, like you can be a film geek or you can yeah. be a theater geek or you can be whatever. Nerd is usually more computery technology focused. So nerd is sort of a subset of geek. I'm not going to tell you what a dork is. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I joined the podcast and I'm just really happy to see that nothing's changed. You can see how we've really ramped up ramped up the focus and seriousness since we were here last. <laughs> this is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 115, recorded Thursday, September 14th, 2017 at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York City, where more than 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy. And where you're never more than a short subway ride away from the blood-curdling cry, it's showtime. Your only warning before the cartwheeling arrival of a group of costumed acrobatic superhumans who will almost kick you in the face over and over again. Which is pretty much exactly how Batman's nemeses generally make their presence known in Gotham City. Today's podcast is brought to you by Oracle. Stack Overflow appreciates Oracle's support for this podcast and for our community. Learn more about all the ways Oracle supports open source, Java, and developers like you at oracle.com slash developers. And the Scholastic Book Club, where every book a student orders is a doorway into an exciting new world and also increases the size of the sales-based kickback their teacher gets. <laughs> On today's podcast, we have our usual crew, CTO, David Rider of the Storm Fullerton. Hello. News editor, Ilana The Voice, Itsaki. Hello, everyone. Producer Jess, it takes a tough woman to make a tender chicken pardue. <laughs> Hi. And joining the regular gang in the studio today, we also have special guest, producer Emeritus of this very podcast, and our very own director of community ops and management, Abby Mars. Hey, gang. Joel Spolsky is still on tour with Heart and Spole, his old recorder <laughs> band. So I'm your host, Jay Hanlon, general manager of Stack Overflow, and one of the very few people who know Adam of Eternia's Secret. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. Oh, so good to Hi. be back. How was your summer? How was everyone's summer? This is like a book report in fourth grade. <laughs> Mine was wonderful, thank you. How yeah. about yours? It was great. I did some traveling. The weather was beautiful. Where did you go? Uh, I took a trip at the beginning of the summer to Seattle and ended it with a little tour of the Southwest. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Jess? Let's see. I went to Gen Con a few weeks ago. It was amazing in Indianapolis. If, How are um, listeners who are not familiar about Gen Con? Gen Con is the best four days in gaming. <laughs> <laughs> That's their tagline. The, the I, it, did, it, didn't sound, it didn't sound made up on the spot. I had, <laughs> I had a guess it might be. It's amazing. And this was a 50-year anniversary, so there were... So many people there. 50 year. Yeah. 50 it's years. Tabletop gaming convention. There's D&D. Uh, okay. There's some, all <laughs> kinds of crazy games. There's anime. There's video games. It's just Anime big... is not gaming. And just dressed up too. I did. I do steampunk usually Ooh. at these so you, things. You, that is, is so cool. Cosplay or cosplay? How do I say it right? I say cosplay. Like cos I, cosplay. I do know people Costume. that say cosplay. So you cosplayed. Kind of. I wasn't a specific character. I was yeah. just dressing up because I really like steampunk and corsets and 
guns with lasers on them and things like that. That is Steam a fantastic combination of things. <laughs> you know, like you do. I feel like everyone likes that stuff. Yeah. I feel, no, I was going to say corsets, I feel like, are a thing that is universally hated and most people are very happy that we've moved on from. Except corsets for like wedding dresses. Corsets are kind of a dresses. hobby of mine, though. I... <laughs> She's okay. not lying. Okay. I, I love corsets. I think they're beautiful. They're not for everyone. <laughs> if I had to wear a corset, I would hate it. But since it's like... Uh, okay, okay. That makes sense. As, yeah, as, as an optional piece of attire. It's an accessory and not something I was going to say it's like a necktie, but I don't feel that way at all about neckties. I'm just no. really glad I don't have to wear one. A necktie is not going to like reorient your organs. But people feel that way about bow ties. It depends I how guess. you use Maybe it. bow ties. <laughs> bow ties are the kind of thing where if you had to wear them, you would hate them. But some people really like wearing them. I just had to wear a bow tie for a wedding thing. And every time I have to tie a bow tie, there is, I've done it a number Wait, of times. You know now. how to tie a bow tie? I wouldn't say I know how. There's a point in the middle where in the illustration, it's like jam in this direction, close your eyes, and pray. And then it just works. And like, I love you never bow ties. believe it's passing through. A, it's very. You know who looks the dapperest I've ever seen in a bow tie? Uh, George Clooney, then me. No, it's, oh. it's Abby. Abby Mars is the that most. That is true. We have a bow tie. Very best own in a bow tie. I'm guess just saying. Abby Mars. Here's the trick to tying a bow tie: is it's the exact same knot as a shoelace before you do the double knot. Same thing. It just has to be pretty. So just pretend like, oh, my neck has become my ankle, and this is a normal thing to be doing. I'm just tying a shoelace around my neck, and it also has wide ends. That's super simple. I don't get why it's so confusing. And so I shouldn't be double knotting my bow tie, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Correct. Because I that's Probably. maybe my mistake all along so i take the bow tie and i make two big loops and then i tie a knot with those ears. right because that's mm -hmm. how i tie my shoes you know i have a 13 year old friend who lives in the neighborhood and he wears a bow tie to school every single day now this is the year maybe i can bring him to the office and teach you a thing or two how does he wash the blood off every day after <laughs> recess is what i'm wondering Honestly, he's the coolest kid in school so <laughs> Wow. He sounds like me. Like, I, like when I was that age, I wished I had a bow tie to wear to school, but I don't think it would have done me any favors, is all I'm saying. <laughs> well, excellent. We're back. We still don't know how to tie bow ties, with the exception of special guest Abby. We should all go to Bow Tie Con, maybe, and learn about that. <laughs> Meet you there. In the meantime, it has been some time, David, and so I would hope, I would expect that by now you would have some sort of a very special, very important tech review for us. Oh, yes. I've got a great... Okay, so tech review. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this one. Very topical to me. You're really building up expectations here. I hope you're going to deliver. My one-minute tech review, hurricane shutters. So as many, <laughs> as many of our longtime listeners know, I recently moved to Florida. Excellent timing, what? by the way. Nice she job. Just in time for Florida to get hit by a massive hurricane, Hurricane Irma, which struck last weekend. Was this in the news at all? I didn't, I'm not sure I saw anything. <laughs> I got to learn all about hurricane shutters because my house came with hurricane shutters, which are a fantastic invention. You bolt these panels of aluminum over your windows, and then you feel very safe inside your house, except for they don't protect your roof, and so you're terrified the entire night that your roof is going to get torn off. But at least you're not worried about a tree branch coming through your windows. And for those of us who don't live somewhere silly, is it like it's a piece of metal <laughs> with bolt holes? Like okay, what is... okay, okay, okay. So there's actually three different flavors that they come in. So the simplest one are they're just sheets of aluminum that they're kind of, um, they're not like flat, they're corrugated. I don't know what you'd call them. They're bent. Mm -hmm. And you buy them, they're pre-cut to the exact size of your windows, and there are bolts pre-driven for you into the wall of your house. So you go out there, you unscrew the bolts, you slide these things onto the bolts, and then they come in like a bunch of small, like one foot wide panels one foot wide by the width of your window. So like, like imagine seven foot by one foot panels. You snap it on, you tighten the bolts, you snap the next one on, you put like six of these over one window and you're done with that window. 
that's the simplest version. And then there's there's more expensive versions that are easier to put up that come with like rails that you don't have to like hang each panel individually. And there's ones that are accordion shutters where you just close them like a big accordion and they just snap closed. So anyway, these are hurricane shutters. Now, yep, here, here's it. the thing. They got work it. great if you had them pre-cut and made to the size of your house. They work not so great if you buy a new house and you move in and you discover that the hurricane shutters that came with your house that are in the garage that you thought were perfectly cut for the size of your house are actually hurricane shutters that the previous owners scavenged from other homeowners when a hurricane came through last year and not one of them fits any window on your entire house. Uh, and so you Useful. have to spend the entire week drilling holes through aluminum panels and desperately trying to get these things onto your windows, which involved a lot of cursing and sweating in 100 degree heat in Florida. But it worked. We got them on. No windows were broken. At the end of the day, the hurricane kind of missed us where we are near Orlando and probably wouldn't have gotten broken anyway. But I'm a big fan of hurricane shutters. So this is a thing that most people outside of Florida, I think, don't even know exists. That's true. Super common in Florida because after Andrew, 20, 25 years ago, Florida took a good look around and said, you know what? I bet there's going to be more hurricanes. We should probably get prepared and passed a bunch of laws, building codes that say all new, believe all new buildings have to be built with hurricane shutters now, which is why they're super common oh, down here. And you drove around before the hurricane and there were just every building was shuttered. Andrew was 25 years ago. I know. I really? Thought that was yeah, a long I was, time I was ago. about to say, David, Andrew was not 25. Yeah, it was 1992. I know. I was going to be like, 10 years ago, Hurricane Andrew. No, 10 years ago was Katrina. Andrew was 25 years That's ago. That's one of those horrible, like, you realize how old you It's like when someone tells you that Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid, is now as old as Pat Morita was in the Karate Kid. And you're like, <laughs> I feel like I should be dead by now. Like, that, that is so depressing. <laughs> well, he was so, like 42 when he did Karate Kid. Oh, he wasn't. Talking about Ralph Macchio. <laughs> He was a lot older. I think he but was. He in was a... so boyishly handsome. <sighs> so, anyway, Florida. You know, anyway. people make fun of Florida a lot, but actually, they're surprisingly well prepared for hurricanes like these. I was pretty impressed with how well the whole thing was handled. A lot of people are still without power, and you know, it wasn't perfect everywhere. But it was a surprisingly orderly process here, and everybody pretty much seemed to know what to do. So, I was pretty impressed. So in conclusion, this group of people who've all deliberately moved to a place where hurricanes hit and destroy everything over and over and over again, you're impressed by that they have slightly adapted to not being completely devastated by said hurricanes? Listen, okay. here's what I said. I just said. want to make sure I got the... Okay. If the exchange is one night of terror and two days without power every few years in exchange for, say, winter every year uh that's a deal i'm still willing to take I, I i'm starting to see i'm starting to see what i think again although let me just say winter is coming david it's coming to you too <gasps> yes winter where i am it'll get probably as low as 65 degrees sounds lovely i lived through hurricane francis hurricane francis yeah where was that hurricane francis in florida oh labor day weekend september 5th 2004 it was only a category two but I lived through it. Well, congratulations. We're very, we're very grateful you did. Mm -hmm. I was in Delray. Did you have hurricane shutters? Actually, we didn't. We had to stand in line at Home Depot to get, it was like plywood? five pieces of plywood per person. That's all that they would give people. Right. So we plywood. did Publix. The girls went to Publix. The boys went to Home Depot. And then we spent like a day. One thing that seemed less organized than it could have been is they decided to give away sandbags. The sheriff department gave away sandbags and they announced this. And But the system was you just pulled up in your car and they put sandbags into the back of your car. Great. Except that they could only really like handle one car at a time. And so people literally 
And I don't know why they wouldn't just give up. But people sat in line for like nine hours to get sandbags. Goodness. I remember Hurricane Hugo in 1989 in South Carolina. I think it hit like Charleston first, but it came up through the state. I slept through it <laughs> the <laughs> night that it hit. But the next morning, everything was crazy. Yep. My one and a half year old daughter slept through the whole thing. Oh, yay. She thought it was great fun. We just played inside all day. And then <laughs> she went to sleep and woke up and there was no power. But your power came back relatively quickly, right? There's, yeah. I mean, there's uh, still we tons of people. Day and a half without power. Yeah. The, we, we were really South Florida that got hit. We're Central Florida. So we didn't okay. get it as bad. So anyway, there you go. That's my one minute tech review. And I'm really glad we stuck to the schedule and kept it to only one minute. Yes, <laughs> as always. Well, as you know, we are preparing a constitution for Stack Overflow. And each week we bring you, our loyal listeners, a proposal. And you decide whether that proposal does or does not become part of our new expanded constitution. Last week's proposal from Timothy Burrell, that's at underscore T Burrell, B-I-R-R-E-L-L, was when commenting code, comments should be in line instead of above the line. And by last week, I mean many, many weeks ago before the <laughs> summer. Where pro was comments should be in line always. I like the always. It's very serious. No exceptions. And con was comments can be above the line. And here with the results is our very own Ilana Itzaki. Well, we got 72% con. con. Don't do it. Don't, 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 don't do it. The winner is Nat Knight at D-A-E-G-E-M-Y-N-D, Dagmund, on requiring all comments to be in line is out of line. Love it. Out of line. <laughs> Love it. Wow. And so, because it is con, unfortunately, I'm sorry, T. Burrell, uh, no amendment will be named after you this week, but there is always next and future weeks. Which reminds me, this week's question comes from Twitter user Joe Steck, or Joe Stetch, I apologize, who you can follow at at Joe underscore S-T-E-C-H. Joe asks us, is an OS background process spelled D-A-E-M-O-N, pronounced demon or daemon? He does not offer the alternative daemon, but I think we can settle on <laughs> those two. So pro would be demon, and con would be Aflac. No, sorry, Damon, as in Matt Damon, <laughs> similar to Matt Damon. What do we think here in the room? Not that our opinions Just, matter. We're just like the judges on American Idol, like so, chit-chatting about our opinions, but it's you. It's, it's, the, it's the people. This for me is one of those words that you've read a hundred times, but never said out loud. And you're slightly terrified that the first time you say it out loud in front of a group of people who actually knows something, you're going to embarrass yourself. I was thinking about this one. I think I've always said it in my head as Damon. But I'm pretty sure it's pronounced demon since I know that it's just a fancy archaic spelling of demon and that the whole idea was that this is some demon that lives in your machine doing things. But I had to answer honestly, I would say daemon, as in, as in Matt. I associate this word with the Monster Manual 2 by Gary Gygax from the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd <laughs> edition Nice, books, personally. Nice reference. That's one of the kinds of nerd I happen to be. Come to Gen Con. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would be inclined. I think I've said Damon, even though I also think of it as meaning. You know what that story reminds me of, David? When I was a little boy, I had. Oh, I love I had little boy J stories. Transformers. And for those of you unfamiliar, <laughs> sorry, younger children may not know about this franchise. These were little toys that turned from a robot into a car. I thought it was a movie. Is there I thought a it was movie the other way Very popular in the 80s. But anyway. And there were these Transformers that came out called the Constructicons. You might be able to guess what kinds of vehicles they turned into. If you Dinosaurs. 
And that was actually, that series was released for in a very similar time. We digress. And the Constructicons, these little neon construction vehicles that turned into robots. But much like Voltron, all five of them could go together and form one giant robot who is much stronger Ooh. when they, because kids love toys where lots of people work together. And then as a team, they're much stronger and can wreck destruction over a much broader swath of the good guy's world. This is a theme in children's toys. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't, didn't, Teaming didn't, up didn't, for power. Who else did this? There, uh, there the were other... Voltron, the Power Rangers are the, the same Power thing, Rangers basically. did this. Yep. And yeah, yep. yeah, okay. But anyway, because we have to, this, you have to, this leads to the Constitution. So right, I'm explaining this to my father and how this happens. And I say, when they all combine, they form the mighty Devastator. And he is much more powerful. <laughs> I'm sorry, if say I say that name had again? them all, I could build the mighty <laughs> Devastator. And he looks down at me and he kind of smirks and he says, I, I think, um, I think Jason, he called me Jason. I think it, it might be Devastator, perhaps. <laughs> and I looked him dead in the eye and I said, who knows more about Transformers, Dad? You or me? And I walked away with my armful of Transformers and was quite inappropriately old before I learned how to pronounce that word. Which brings us back to our own constitution where you, our listeners, need to decide if it is in fact Demon or Matt Damon. Post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast, where pro is demon and con is Matt Damon with your explanation for why. And it should not just be because it sounds like Matt Damon, because we've used that already. The best explanation, whether on the winning side or the losing side, will be read on next week's podcast and win a Stack Overflow sticker courtesy of the Stack Ooh. Overflow Podcast. You can Ooh. also submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments using the sharp symbol. I decided I'm going to call it that going forward. <laughs> Mostly because I read about someone referring to C hashtag somewhere, and I thought that was just hilarious. Using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast, and one of our future amendments might be named after Matt Damon or you, especially if your name is Matt Damon. Which concludes the Democratic portion of our discussion. <laughs> And brings us to, oh, this is exciting. We have a new, and not only new, but new and recurring segment. And we are pleased, pleased and delighted to have Abby back with us here to kick off our recurring segment. This week is going to start with community managers reading mean tweets. This is in no way related to Jimmy Kimmel. Celebrities read mean tweets. Send all complaints to CBS or whatever network he's on. I don't stay up that late. But here with our own mean tweets to kick off our recurring segment is our very own community of director. That was not even close. I mean, it was kind of close, like but it was really bad. A community of directors. Oh, my God. That sounds like the most pretentious award <laughs> show on the planet. Nothing would ever get done. It would just, and like you'd have that James guy with the beard sitting there saying boring things. Who's that? What's his name? What, inside the James actor's studio? Lipton? Yeah, yeah, James Lipton. That's exactly. He would definitely go to that. But first, let's reacquaint our listeners with Abby in case they were born or joined us after she moved on from podcast production to other more important things here. Abby, remind us, what do you do here at SO exactly? Lots of things. So I am a former ghost producer of this podcast, which I eventually mm -hmm. stopped doing because turns out it's easier to produce a podcast when you're actually there in the room with the equipment and the people. But no, I work with the community managers to help figure out how to manage the communities, essentially. So what do our users need to be happy on the sites? What features do we need to build or change or adjust? You know, what rules can we change or explain better just to help people have a better experience asking questions and answering them on Stack Overflow and the Stack Exchange Network? Awesome. 
And so we've got like, we have three like senior community leaders, right? So how does what you do differ from what Tim Post does and what Robert Cortano has been on the podcast before? I don't think Tim has. What's the difference between you three? So mostly I sit around in Salt Lake City, whereas <laughs> Tim sits around in Baltimore. And so we have different ceilings that we stare at that all day. Makes and, and you have bow ties. Yeah. I've never seen him in a bow tie, like not once. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he likes to, to cook a lot of meats and I usually don't. Yeah. I thought actually they might be the same person, but you're right. Nah, you use the Abby bow tie. Abby always wears a bow tie. Yeah. That's how yeah. I can tell them apart. Mm-hmm. That's the definitive factor. No, so I work primarily <laughs> with the community managers. So my title is not community of directors. It's something else that involves the word operations and management. I basically help the community managers figure out what to do and, and how to be more efficient and more happy in their jobs. Tim focuses on what on earth should we be doing here? So what do we actually need to be doing for these meta communities, for any of the Q&A communities, the other products that we're working on? And Robert focuses on new community development. So primarily Area 51, but also figuring out kind of what are the dynamics that help communities grow from very small, tiny seedlings into hopefully strong plants of any size, because we don't need them to be huge. We just like them to be healthy and hearty. So there's some division of, you know, responsibilities there. So we can eat them. um, Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) I I broke that metaphor somehow. (laughs) We're going to eat the big giant oak trees. I think they're the most delicious. I I was picturing little like cabbages or something. Carrots. That's what I was picturing. Mmm, carrots. So I normally kick off with how someone got sucked into the computer and eaten by the computer. Start with code, but I know you are you are not, like me and you are not a full-on developer of any sort. So what do you geek out on, Abby? Oh man, what do I geek out on? So I came to Stack Overflow from a theater background. Jay and I have that <gasps> in common. Sorry if that was wow, a secret, Jay. Really? Damn it. Uh, I didn't know yes, that. I, I majored in stage management in college, and so my my degree and my field of interest is a bunch of people trying to make a thing together, and what do they need to get that done? Mm. So it's actually that is actually super that, relevant. It's super similar yep. to what yep. I do today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same thing, except the thing we're trying to make is super different, and everyone's super geeky about different things here. But theater geeks and developer geeks are not—they're not that different of an animal, I find. All drama queens, basically, is my yep. experience. Mm. Precisely. Excellent. And do you, in fact, have some... I got to be honest, I'm a little nervous. Because I've seen this on... Again, I don't stay up that late, but science late in the cab, they show the people from the late night shows reading the things. And they're actually very mean. So do you have some tweets to read for us? I do. We'll be the judge together of how mean they actually are or how much we deserve it. They're only specifically mean to Jay in about, you know, five or six of them (laughs) of the 20 dozen that I'm going to read. No, they're fine. We'll get through it together. And to be clear, these are not randomly selected tweets. These were deliberately mean tweets that we were selected. Yes? As far as I know, I didn't select them. I'm I'm reading what's on the teleprompter. Okay, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) There are lots and lots of really good tweets. And, like, it's the funnest to watch, like, when Sacroflow goes down and people are freaking out on Twitter, especially, about, like, they can't do their work, they can't do their job. But we specifically went through and found the mean tweets. Little known fact, anytime we need to feel better about ourselves, we take Stack Overflow down deliberately for just for a few minutes <laughs> so, so we get David some of those really nice tweets. specifically does it. So please send all of really your nice hate tweets. mail to David Fullerton, um, care of Stack Overflow. So when we first had the Stack Overflow like account set up and I was like playing with it and trying to learn how the Twitter worked, that was my favorite time as Stack Overflow would go down. Like a million people would tweet Stack Overflow is down. And it, for the first week, I would respond to them each individually and suggest <laughs> something for them to do. I'd be like, you should read a book. I recently enjoyed blah, blah, blah. Or like, Veronica Mars is available on Netflix now. You should watch season one. It's quite excellent. <laughs> Seems like a good use of your time. But just, it was. just to clarify, there are lots and lots of great, like, nice tweets. What is the opposite of me? I guess nice tweets about Stack Overflow, but we specifically looked for the, the not so nice ones. All right, let's hear them. Let's hear All the new right. ones. How mean could they be? We should do community managers read nice tweets one of these days. Okay, anyway, our first tweet comes from Michael J. Reedy, who writes, 
I'd like to take a moment to thank all the people on Stack Overflow for nothing. You're fucking assholes. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Michael. That's not nice. Um, okay. You thank a, you, Michael. The, You're welcome. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> or the laugh track. Our next tweet comes from Chris Longhurst. Chris Longhurst says, on the one hand, Stack Overflow is a great resource. That's nice. I like that. On yeah. the other hand, fuck those guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. Cool. Thanks. This is hard, you guys. I feel, hmm. I feel this in my soul. I'm going to have okay. to go to the therapist after this. <laughs> I do have therapy after this. <laughs> I'm not adding a second session over this. It's already too much. <laughs> Our next tweet comes from Ilapitha, who says, at Stack Overflow, Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you a million times, little arrogant, miserable creatures. <laughs> was that last part an emoji? Wow. That, or that they, the words? That was the words? The words, little arrogant, miserable creatures, period. They should make an emoji to case. save a path of some... I think that's kind of okay. my favorite one. Okay. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're getting there, you guys. Uh, halfway through. Jason Sweat wrote our next tweet. Jason Sweat says, basically, what I'm saying is, I hate absolutely everything about Stack Overflow except the core idea. All right. Well, there you go. That's good. Doesn't hate we everything. We something right. Okay. I was sweating bullets writing that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's good because his name is Sweat. I yeah, I think sweating, <laughs> sweating bullets would be a good handle for him with no, no G, just sweating. Sweating bullets. That's what you I would do. You did that one for free, Jason Sweat. If I were him. Yep. Next tweet, Jacob Gadikian. Gadikian, Gadikian. Jacob Gadikian writes, Stack Overflow is a bunch of jerks with a URL. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the next constitution question. Are we plural or singular? Are Ooh, we Stack, Stack Overflow? Is Stack Overflow is or Stack Overflow are? Stack Overflow is. It's a, it's a, there's a word for this. But they it's do it is. differently in yeah. the UK. <laughs> it's like collective. Stack Overflow. No. Yeah, it's like we a collective, collective plural noun or something. Yeah. We are a collective. That's what we wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> that last one was like maybe two thirds, right? Like we do have a URL. That part's definitely correct. <laughs> we are a bunch okay. of something. All right, two more. We're getting there, you guys. Everyone doing okay emotionally, more or less? I feel I, good. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Wash Costigan, Costigan writes, I'm just going to say Wash. Wash writes, does anyone know an alternative to Stack Overflow where moderators aren't assholes and the community is friendly to all questions? No, I don't. Did not get any <laughs> answers. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah, you, you can go there. I don't think you'll have success. Okay, one more. Kelvin Shadewing. That is quite a name. I actually really like it. So thanks, Kelvin, for your name specifically, not for the tweet. Anyway, Kelvin writes, coding wouldn't be nearly as stressful if the people on Stack Overflow weren't such jerks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well. These aren't quite as funny mm -hmm. as I was led to believe they might be. Why are we so They're mean? They're just mean. Why are we mean? What do you mean we're mean? They're the ones calling us names. <laughs> why, why do they? <laughs> they started it. Why are they it? so mad? Yeah. Well, so why are they so mad? So I think it's funny because there's dirty words in them and stuff. And I don't know if they'll have to put those out or not. But <laughs> one of the things we, we did, we wanted to talk a little bit about is sort of how we think about some people's perception of Stack Overflow. And I think what's fair based on these tweets and other things we know is we do have a challenge on Stack Overflow. And that doesn't mean we can solve it. And it doesn't mean it's our biggest problem. But what you get from these tweets, I think, is sometimes some new users, and I don't think it's most, but feel unwelcome for whatever reason, are condescended to or feel dismissed in some way, or they can't do what they want to here. And I think there's some other people 
I would guess a number of the people who tweeted there, who, I don't know, cursed at us on the internet, may not have posted and simply worry that they would be. They observe something that makes them think they would be. And I always want to jump to as a, I don't know, as a argumentative idiot who spends time on the internet. I'm like, well, should they feel that way? Do they have a right to feel that way? Is that the right way to feel? Is it justified? And as I've pointed out before, my wife tells me over and over again, it doesn't matter if they should or not. The way they feel is the way they feel. And so people feel this way. And I think a starting point for us is that's not good. Our job is to make sure Stack Overflow is a place where really all developers can get help, can find jobs, can feel welcome. And so we're definitely interested in, in any place where that's not true. So Abby, since you're here with us, yeah. I think it's important to start from this position of we want Stack Overflow to be welcoming for more people. And that doesn't mean at any cost, and it doesn't mean we can make everybody happy all the time, but we want that. And I think we have been working on some things and we think about some things that will help keep it strong the way it has been and useful to so many people, but make even more people feel welcome. But let's clear up some misconceptions, I think. So let me start with, I didn't exactly get it, but if I heard you correctly, someone said roughly, thanks for nothing. You are all assholes, give or take. Is that, was that a good paraphrase? Uh, that's the gist I got from most of the tweets. I so think. are all of us assholes? Like, is that, does that feel relatively, I guess one of my questions would be like, <laughs> let's start from, you often hear people talking about the overall tenor of the community and without dismissing the notion that it could be nicer and better. What does the interaction look like between most people on Stack Overflow? So I don't think it's fair to say that Stack Overflow is all assholes. I mean, especially because, you know, all of us sitting here in this room or this remote room, we're all part of Stack Overflow and we're not assholes most of the time. Some of us can be. A little be, broad, kind of a broad statement. Neither right there. But okay, okay. Exactly. <laughs> we'll paint with that broad of a brush. So it's definitely not fair to say that, you know, Stack Overflow is all assholes all the time. That said, I'm sitting from a perspective of, you know, I see a lot more of the interactions. All of our jobs here is to sit here and think about Stack Overflow all the time. So we see the bad stuff. We see the good stuff. We see the million times a day that the system actually works. Someone comes with a question, it gets answered, everyone's happy. A lot of people only hear about or only experience and then talk about the bad stuff, right? You're a new user, you're one of thousands of new users and you have a terrible experience and you tweet about it. The other 999 new users who have an okay experience, they're not tweeting about it because they got their answer, they went back to their job. So the perception is, oh, Stack Overflow is all assholes because that's what you hear about the most, right? That's the people who are writing mean tweets about it. In my opinion, the reality is we certainly do have assholes around. We have a community of humans. Humans can be jerks to one another. It's just kind of what happens. You build any set of rules and people will show up to try and whack each other over the heads with the rule book. It's just the nature of some kinds of communities, I feel like. But for every asshole we have, we also have dozens of people who are genuinely trying to help. It just gets less attention because it's the system working. It's not an error. It's not something that's interrupting your day. It's just, oh, I got my answer. Thank you to this person. I'm going to go back and keep working on this thing I'm supposed to be working on instead of hanging out on the internet answering Stack Overflow questions. So what do we do to prevent the assholeness? I think assholosity is what you're going for there. Assholery. Assholery. Sorry, I just will actually do with a made up word in the context of rude people <laughs> on the internet. So sorry. Because in reality, it's not Stack Overflow who are the assholes. It's the human beings who are responding in a way that isn't favorable to the people that are using it. So what are we doing as moderators? What are we doing to prevent this from happening in the future? What are we doing to sort of like... I'm going to put that on hold. Oh, I've okay. never done that before. Okay. So yeah, hang on to that. Okay. Hang on okay. to that because I want to come back to that because okay. we, we want to talk about that. But I want to stick at the context for a second because that actually is the key question. That's the most interesting topic, I think. And I think, Abby, to your point, one thing I'd throw out is the thing that nobody sees or notices or pays attention to as far as how people are being treated or how people are interacting is most of what happens on Stack Overflow by volunteers doesn't feel like that. They're not comments. They're answers, right? They're just people who show up and answer. And like the thing I always want to jump back to is like, don't forget like 99% of the human interaction on Stack Overflow on any given day is thousands and thousands and thousands of developers 
coming to Stack Overflow and typing out an answer to help a stranger do their job and nothing. Mm. And they ask for nothing. And they, you know, there's not a lot of like, not only non-hostility, there's not a lot of anything except a solution. And Stack Overflow is primarily sort of this kind of human sharing generosity machine. But then on top of that, what you do get is there's then some interactions and some back and forth and people need more information. And even those I think are, you know, 90, 99% super civil and super kind. But like you said, the ones that are less so stand out. One thing worth talking about maybe is like, one thing you see in, when you talk about an online community and if someone wrote, well, this is an online community and it's full of assholes and they're, they use the F word a lot. I'm not going to use the F word because I never use the F word, as you all know. <laughs> Wouldn't dare. But there's a microphone here. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I am concerned. <laughs> One thing I think is interesting is Stack Overflow, when you think about like a hostile, like, you know, nasty online community, that is not a rational way to describe. Like what you jump to quickly is you're thinking like, whoa, like how racist, like how mean, how <laughs> awful are people in a place like this? Like think about like what I think of as sort of a, a community with, I don't know, a balance and an awful lot of stuff going on, some very good, some very bad. Like, think about how bad stuff gets on Reddit, right? In some corners of Reddit where there's freedom. Or think about Facebook, right? Facebook doesn't have, like, it's not 4chan because you're talking to mostly your aunts and uncles and stuff, but people are spewing crazy, crazy sort of hateful stuff all over Facebook, too. And for a site that has user generated content, Abby, correct me if any of this has changed. Is there any awful stuff on Stack Overflow ever? That lives? That lives? No, you qualified that. So before you qualified it, I was going to say yes, but it disappears very quickly. So something that Stack Overflow does just because of the way even our automated systems work before a person really has to see a thing and do something about it. If something is super terrible, like, you know, horrible racist slurs and like the, the really awful stuff that you see around on the internet, especially in kind of unfiltered places, that gets automatically wiped away really, really quickly. Few users ever have to see anything like that on Stack Overflow because it's not productive it is mean and terrible and antisocial. And also it's not what we're doing here, right? It's not a coding question if it's a horrible, you know, racist slur or whatever. So most of that stuff gets expunged pretty quickly. And what doesn't, even if it is something that makes it out onto, you know, a public facing website where other people can see it, it gets flagged and taken down pretty quickly. I think that's one of the things that gives us an advantage over a lot of other places where you might talk about programming or whatever else on the internet is our ability to get rid of the vast majority of the really, really bad stuff before anyone has to see it or before more than you know one sad soul has to see it and we make that person sad and that shouldn't really have to happen but it happens way less often on stack overflow than anywhere else that i've seen so those mean tweets what are they referencing when they say that we're an asshole it's because what so it can be a, a number of things. Sometimes, I think this is the smaller case, people run into people who are mean to them in comments, right? Like, oh, you dummy, you didn't write your question right. You know, they don't usually use words like that. That's kind of just me. Or people can be very brusque about asking people to update their questions so that it's easier to understand, things like that. People who see a thousand new users a day asking mediocre questions, they lose patience, right? Even if they are here with the best of motives to answer questions for people who need help, they lose patience when people aren't doing it as they would like. But I think the broader thing that contributes a lot to the impression people have and the thing that makes them write tweets about how we're terrible because we won't actually give them any help because we're full of assholes or jerks or whatever is the fact that we will reject questions sometimes if they don't meet our standards or they don't get updated quickly enough to meet our standards. So we don't call it rejection. We call it closing or putting a question on hold. But basically, if you come in and you ask a question and you don't adhere to this kind of obscure set of rules that maybe you don't know about because you're a new user, people will come in and they will vote to close your question. And so what that says to a new user, if they don't really know the system, is... 
you're too dumb to ask here or you know you haven't done it right you don't know the rules you have to go you're you're not welcome here and that's the impression that sort of what we do closing questions I think can give especially when it's not accompanied with enough constructive feedback about how to make your question be okay for stack overflow Yeah, and I think there's kind of two interesting axes here. So one is there are some rules, right? And the rules are not always obvious and sometimes frustrating. And I'll come back to that in a second. And one is, as you said, like people can be too brusque in how they interact. And I think like you were joking, but like when you said like you dummy, like correct me if I'm wrong, if someone calls a user a dummy in a comment, they get suspended or they get warned or they get suspended if it happens again. Like that is not tolerated. That will get flagged. And back to the problematic stuff, all the, especially the obvious, so if it's name calling like that, if it's, again, you know, anything offensive or even just creepy, like if you're trying to hit on people or things like that, like the reason it gets cleared so fast, actually, people are like, well, the community is so terrible and at least you're trying to manage them. That is not the case, right? There may be bad, bad participants. The community is why that all works, right? It is the fact that we have so many users who care so much that stuff gets flagged instantly, basically, on Stack Overflow. There's so many eyeballs and so many caring people. That it gets escalated, it gets popped up, and if it is a problem like that, it gets dealt with. But I do think, like you know, like many online communities, as I alluded to, people will sometimes come back and say things like, "I'm not sure you have, you know, the fundamental information you need to be asking this question." And that maybe sort of like the thing they're trying to say is like, "I don't know how to answer this given the current context," but that comes off as you're too dumb for me to talk to, right? That's I think where it gets complex and, and tricky. But let's go back to Abby. You touched on the rules. So let's talk about that for a second because there is something. There's something super off-putting. When you're like, hey, I heard this is the place for help, so I've come here. And we're like, yeah, we don't give that kind of help here. Yes, I know it. It's not for here. Get lost, right? It's, uh, people don't like that. Why are questions not allowed here? Like that aren't offensive. What kind of things get shut down and why is that important? So we think it's important to have kind of standards and rules for what kind of questions can be asked on Stack Overflow because we're trying to optimize for a couple of things. Number one, we want to make sure that questions on Stack Overflow are answerable so that there's enough information that someone else who has no idea what you're working on can read your question, understand what you're asking, and write an answer. So getting enough context in the question for it to be possible for someone else to answer it. So that's number one. Number two is we want answers that are going to be at least a little bit likely to help someone else down the line. Even if it's a really obscure question, you know, you are the only one working in this particular field of organic rocket science or whatever, you know, this is really, really your thing. Eventually your field might grow and someone else is going to be learning about what you're working on and they're going to come along and have the same problem and we want that answer to be able to help them too, if at all possible. So it's not that, oh, your question is not broad enough to be interesting to five people, therefore we don't want it to be here. It is that there has to be a little bit of kind of imaginable lasting value, even if it's not clear what that means today. So answerable, and then we want it to be useful to as many people as possible, even if that's just you for right now. And we've learned a lot over the years, starting with Jeff and Joel, when they were really figuring out, you know, what are the rules of Stack Overflow? How do we do this? About what makes a question fit these standards? What makes a question not answerable? Or what makes it not useful to other people or not even useful to you? And so the rules we have in place are there to optimize those questions for, I guess, answerability is what I would call it, which is a term I just made up and I'm going to trademark. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Answerability, trademark, TM. Anyway, so that's what we're trying to do with questions, right? Is We're trying to keep them on topic, keep them in the field that the community of answerers will be able to understand what you're going for and write you a good answer and help you, you know, go along your merry day and finish working on whatever you're working on. I forgot the rest of your question. No, I think that I think you dug right into it. And I think that the thing that's off-putting and that throws people is essentially like once you accept there have to be some boundaries, right? For a bunch of reasons. And one trick is if you allow any question people want to ask, and the community kind of says, look, we're mostly here to answer coding questions, right? But what you get to is people start asking questions like, you know, I'm coding and I'm kind of hungry. Like, what's a good thing to keep energy, right? <laughs> 
And you get to that, like, after you got through, like, I need a good chair. What's a good programming chair, right? And, like, what about keyboards? Like, that's pretty close. Pro programmers often have similar and important opinions about that. The problem is it just keeps extending to some point where all of a sudden it's really about I'm a programmer and my cat's in the toilet. And I don't know how to get my toilet working or my cat dry. And it spirals out of control. And you, you just get Yahoo, right, on some level. But where to draw that line is hard. And like I would throw out, there's places I think our community for practical reasons has accidentally cut off some things, maybe, we, or I shouldn't even say accidentally, that drawing a clear and easy line maybe made us cut off some questions we really could have been helpful with that wouldn't have been super problematic, but they kind of, they attracted a lot of others. Like the recommendations area is an example, I think, where we don't want people being like, which language is better? R or Python? Debate. Like it's not for that. And those things just go on and on and they don't play well with the rest of the system. But we've gotten to the point where like sometimes someone asks a question and the best answer is like, you should go use this library. And then someone's like, oh, well, if the answer is a library, it's a library recommendation and we don't do recommendations and that gets shut down and boundaries are hard, right? At the end of the day. But so I think there's challenges there. And, and I do think one thing that always strikes me is it's hard to point to a lot of places that have live ongoing interaction between humans, which is different than like, you know, kind of some minor shared editing like Wikipedia that have scaled to the size of Stack Overflow and not essentially sort of collapsed into themselves where they're so unwelcoming to anything new that nobody can use it anymore and no one joins and then slowly the members all die and it gets smaller and smaller or Thanks. kind of go into chaos, right? The kind of MySpace or Yahoo Answers problem where Stack Overflow does seem to have found an equilibrium sort of where there's rules, but they're open enough that most people can still come in. But we still know that some people don't do as well as we want them to. And some people are scared to. I think a lot more people are worried than need to be. But it doesn't matter if they're worried. Like, that's what's affecting their decision. Abby, can you talk about something? Well, I want to go back to Alana's question. What are some of the things over the years that we've been looking at to try and help make the community more civil, more welcoming for, in particular, I think, for new people? Yeah. So one of the things I'm most excited about is actually pretty recent. We ran or are still running. I think it might still be going. We ran an experiment about mentoring, where basically yep. if you were a new user, you were asking a question for the first time. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about it on this podcast before. Mike. Briefly. Okay, good. So it's going really well. So you're a new user and you ask a question, you get a pop-up. It's kind of like Clippy. It looks like you're a new user. You want some help writing your question? It doesn't look like Clippy though, right? It's, uh, I wish it did. Okay. How about that? Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't actually. <laughs> if I got to be you know, on the design team, it would look like Clippy, which is probably why I'm not on the design team they mentioned that actually explicitly in their meeting okay, anyway, go on, go on. <laughs> there's actually whenever they're hiring there's a note at the bottom of the job description that says no abbeys need apply <laughs> they have a picture of you in the break room next to shoplifters <laughs> yeah it's true so mentoring mentoring is really cool basically what happens is i'm a new user i go to ask my first stack overflow question the system chooses me at random i'm not exactly sure how it works and says hey it looks like you're asking your first stack overflow question do you want help making sure that it's going to be successful. And I'm like, great, I'm afraid of Stack Overflow. And, you know, I just screwed up the courage to do this. So yes, I want help. And it dumps me into a chat room with some experienced Stack Overflow users who have volunteered to help new users with their questions. So not just people who know the system, but people who know the system and are expressly there to help people like me be successful with their very first Stack Overflow question. And so then you share a draft with them and they tell you all the things that people would have told you in the comments after you posted your question, but it's before you asked it. It's in yep. a situation, you know, you chose this, you wanted the feedback, and they're there specifically to give it to you in a, the most constructive way possible. So it's much less scary. And I haven't seen really the results of what this experiment has done, but we're learning a lot just about how people are feeling about asking their first Stack Overflow questions, what they actually need to be taught 
taught before they can successfully ask a question. And that's going to help inform changes that we can make to, for example, the ask question page. How can we scale this, right? We don't have to have a person teach you how to ask a question. We can just put the guidance on the page and make it actually work for you. That page hasn't been touched in about 70,000 years approximately by my count. So that's one thing that we've been doing lately that I've been really, really excited about. I think it has a lot of promise both in helping people have better experiences on Stack Overflow and also the PR problem that we have kind of, right? Like, oh, Stack Overflow hates new people and it's not doing anything about it. Like, well, we actually are trying really hard. It's just a hard problem that we have because communities are full of people and, you know, people are difficult sometimes. I have a very mediocre analogy. The last time I biked from Brooklyn into the city was right after Hurricane Sandy when there were no cars on the road, basically, so I didn't have to worry about it. But I've been dying to ride my bike here to work. And about a month ago, I started and I got 20 minutes out and I got super nervous and I rode back to my apartment and like cried for 20 minutes and then <laughs> took the subway to work. And so Casey said that she would ride with me. And That's so awesome. this morning, yeah. and the, nice. the reason why I was so yeah, nervous and jerky about it was because, you know, there are people that have been doing this for a really long time. And I was like super nervous about being pushed off the road, basically judged like, oh, who is this? you know, novice who's, yeah, who's, being who's the new yeah, yeah, I was so afraid of people judging me for biking in that it like actually stopped me from Aww. biking in. And so now I kind of like can understand from you know, a developer, analogy. you know, a, a baby yeah. developer, Act. why they would be afraid to oh, say baby something. Developer. Yeah. <laughs> a baby developer. And to anybody, it's, yeah. it's not just baby developers because it's a different skill than being a developer. Learning how to post on Stack Overflow is a Good developers post on Stack Overflow and get their questions shut down unceremoniously. And then they feel really bad about it. Similar to how you can be a professional cycling racer on road races, you know, you're really good at riding a bike and doing so very quickly, but then you come and try to do that in New York City. You're still great at riding bikes, but it's a completely different skill set because you're not just riding a bike in a straight line to get to where you're going. Is there like, if you want to ask a question, like this is how you do it kind of thing? So yeah, there's a bunch of resources. So there's stuff like John Skeet, who's... Probably from most John mm -hmm. Skeet's work. Yeah. John wrote a great post on on like how to ask on Stack Overflow at one point. And a couple of other people have written pretty pretty good blog posts or things on on guidelines. We have things in the help center. There's actually a thing on the ask page that gives like six things to try to do and six things to try not to do. Part of the problem, I think, is the way people approach things like that. Mostly, it's really they don't want to read a bunch of stuff explaining like it's like how to write a great essay. One thing is people don't do that, and it's also hard to then apply it like. Most people don't know to read it or know where to find it, even though it's on the page sometimes. And it's still like a bunch of like, try not to do this and try not to do that. So one thing we're actually going to test the Ask page is something along the lines of, you can kind of break out how most people go wrong. Like they didn't put in enough code or any code, or they put in the code in what they tried, but not what they wanted to happen. Or they put in what they wanted to happen, but not exactly what they did. I just wanted to do a thing. And like what we're kind of getting to is like, we feel like if you made it more like, Paste your code here. It's really important you have code. If you don't have code, you can still try asking, but it almost never works. Describe what you want to happen, ideally. Describe what happened instead. Describe the other things you have tried. We're like, if they're almost like fields like that, you just yeah. kind of break it out that we can save a lot of the people who actually have all the tools to ask the right question. And we're, we're going to test some stuff along those lines. So it's more of like an interface thing. Yeah, the, the information's out there. People just 
aren't used to seeing a text box and then realizing, oh, there's rules for these right, text right, boxes. Right. You know, it's like, oh, it's a thing. It's like on Facebook. I can type wherever I want. It's a tweet. I can type whatever I want. Oh, it's a big box for words. I can type whatever I want. And so even if the rules are right there, it's still kind of difficult to get people, if it's their first time, to internalize. Like, oh, this text box is a little different. It looks like a regular one, but it's not. It's also, like, just increases the burden, right? Like, the more people yeah. feel like, oh, before I've ever posted my first Stack Overflow question, I need to go, like, watch this 20-minute video. Ah, this sounds hard. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? Like it just builds up in your mind that this is a hard thing that I don't have time for and I don't want to do. So so the challenge is finding ways where it feels easy and feels like, you know, mistakes are not, no, they're not costly, right? Like if you make a mistake, you know, you could fix it later. It's like the ideal would be like, ah, don't worry about it, you know. It's like the mentorship thing. I uh, just, you know, give it your best attempt at it. And then somebody will tell you, you know, oh, no, wait, tweak this and fix that. And then you'll do that. And then you'll hit post. It's, you know, scaling that's hard. So you want to look at like steps that walk you through or just a more intuitive interface or something that makes it feel easier, lower stakes. If you need nine things from somebody and you come and you're like, give me thing one, give me thing two, give me thing three. It's just a bunch of easy tasks. If you put up nine rules, make sure you do a, like it starts to be like, I'm going to mess it up. Like I am going to break this. It's a tough thing. You almost have to reimagine the fundamental interaction because it's just the mechanics of how the system are built. There's two different dynamics going on. One is that there are actual jerks, people who are jerks. It's like racism. Oh no, now we're going to get into this. There are racists. There are people who are actually racists and overt racists. But then there's also systemic racism. Right. Where it's like the system is set up in such a way that the results are racist. It's like that on Stack Overflow. It's like there are both jerks and there is systemic jerkiness. It's like there's a bunch of people acting entirely according to the rules of the system and, you know, not trying to be jerks. And yet the result is perceived jerkiness. And that's the real challenge, I think. Not so much the, oh, we've got a bunch of jerks around here just being mean to people. And I was thinking about this as Jay was going through everything. You know, we, it is a community with rules, and those rules exist for a reason. I think one of the fundamental problems is that it feels combative, not collaborative. As yeah. in, these people aren't here to help me, even though they are there to help you. Um, it does not, literally, like it does literally. not feel like they're there to yeah. help. It feels like they're gatekeeping. They're there to help the internet at large. They're not there to help you. And so if your question isn't good enough and you can't fix it in time, then you know, you're going to be told to go away and feel like you're being told to never come back. And so it's that the system is sort of, you know, it's 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 not that we have all of these jerks here, though there are some jerks and we need to address that and, and work on that. It's that the system sort of fundamentally feels combative, not like these people are collaborating with you. And so I think that's one of the things that's the most interesting about the mentorship program is it's getting towards a more collaborative feel. The challenge is how do you, you know, how do you scale that? But we're still at sort of the very early qualitative, try this out as a small experiment and see what happens. And I think we're going to talk more about that on a future podcast. Yeah, I think we're going to have hopefully Christina Lustig on our UX researcher to talk about that and some of the takeaways. And like you said, I don't think we ever intended to scale it, but it's like, what can we learn from that about how collaboration can work and build that into something we can scale? But we'll save that. I think we're planning to have what we internally call the DAG team on, or at least uh, at least Joe, the PM, which is our developer affinity and growth team, whose really whole job is to make sure that developers who use Stack Overflow in any way kind of have an experience that is super positive and makes them want to do more and, and participate more, really, to be part of the community. And some of the other things, I think we actually literally going to talk about the ask page that we have in the plans. And I also think, David, you may remember some of these in the early days. 
I also want to be careful not to make it sound like, you know, well, now we're really focused on how to be nicer. And now we care about this. We're trying to fix it. This was baked in from the beginning. And I think that there's all these, the kind of be nice policy and sort of setting a tone of civility and really aiming at that out of the gate. And, you know, people sort of talk about like, ah, that community is full of, you know, people saying, let me Google that for you, which is people who are very old and have long memories. Cause like that was banned like the third week or so, you know, I mean, there's so many things over the years that Jeff and Joel and more recently, I think the community team has been doing. And like when we talk about the comments, Abby, I think this is still true. It's like when we kind of one of the things that happened, we revised the be nice policy just to make it even clearer and kind of rehighlight it is what you'll see in a lot of places now is where you see those sort of what I'd characterize as like unintentionally condescending interactions where mm-hmm. someone's, they're not name calling. They're not trying to be a jerk. They're just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure you understand this one function or something, right? And what they're trying to communicate is the right thing, but the phrasing comes off as, you know, with insufficient knowledge of the topic you're asking about or something. And while that stuff may not result in, you know, somebody getting in trouble or getting suspended, it kind of put it badly, it gets deleted. Like stuff like that, if it gets flagged, just gets cleared now. And I think over the years, we've gotten better at it, it feels like the team has. Yeah, and that kind of stuff is is often just not productive, right? Or even if it is, even if there's a nugget of something useful in there, like, oh, I'm not sure you understand this concept. And the user says, oh, I don't understand this concept. And they go read up on it. You know, that was a little bit productive, even yep. if it came off wrong. But the thing with comments on Stack Overflow is they're not made to be permanent. We don't consider them a permanent artifact that goes along with a question and an answer. And so if something happens where, you know, I write a comment saying, oh, I'm not sure you understand this. And you read it as me saying, I'm not sure you understand this. You know, the tone problem really can be escalated in a text medium, that's great. That's fine. We'll just delete the comment because we're not super committed to keeping comments around unless they're really useful. And if they're really useful, then we probably want you to turn it into an answer anyway. And that is something that's a permanent artifact on our site. So the easiest thing to do in most cases is just fine. If this is causing a problem for anyone, we'll get rid of it. It's fine. Just, you know, make it go away. Yeah. And I think like there's a fine line between you really need to learn the fundamentals of how joins work before you can ask such a question. And Here's a link I think you might find useful that digs into some of like the core concepts of joins. Like they yeah. ain't that different, but the first one sounds like you're too stupid to be here. And the second one feels like a, re- you know what I mean? There's like a, mm-hmm. but anyway, I think we wanted to kind of introduce over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be bringing in some other guests to talk about some of the things we're working on. And I think one theme you're going to find throughout, I think David really nailed, we didn't even talk about this before, but David nailed, I think at the heart of this sort of is, I, I don't like when people frame it as a conflict between, you know, power users or some power users, the grumpy power users and the new people, it can look that way and it can play out that way. But I think the core is like, how do you find the collaboration? And I think yeah. there's a place where if you rethink it as like, it's not that there's too many people coming in who aren't even trying to ask a question in the way that lets people help them. And it's not these power users who are jerks unless you ask the perfect way. What they're both invested in is how do we help new users ask questions successfully? Like that's what everybody wants. And if we can come at the problem that way, I think there actually are a lot of answers, both on that Ask page, but other places too. So we will be digging into some of the specific ones with a series of various guests in the weeks ahead. But for today, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is... Ooh, ooh, hang on. A new study shows that banning hateful and racist subreddits decreased the overall use of hate speech across Reddit. Previously, it was argued that removing these kinds of subreddits would simply result in the users migrating their hate speech to another forum within the site. 
Contrary to this, the study showed that despite a few initial bursts of anger, users from banned groups decreased their level of hate speech across the site by at least 80% in subsequent posts. Researchers concluded that the ban worked effectively. Okay. So let's start with the obvious. It's not a shocking result that if you take out the most offensive rooms, the hate speech goes down on the site overall, right? The thing they were looking at that was interesting was, does it just move? Is the, the risk that it moves? And if the people who were doing it before stay, do they behave just as badly but elsewhere on the site? And the answer was no. Yeah. They basically followed the users before and after. The main users are the users who posted hate speech in these subreddits, and they saw what happened to them. Did they just go somewhere else and post the same things? Did those places they went to then become more hateful? What happened? Now, the thing they didn't, couldn't test is did they go somewhere else on the internet? But they definitely found within Reddit, it wasn't the case that they just migrated somewhere else. You shut down the subreddit and you actually, those people spent less time spewing hate at least on Reddit, which is kind of surprising. You know, I could have seen that one going either way. I would have been probably less surprised to read a study that said, shutting down subreddits doesn't really work. Bad people are going to continue to be bad people, and they're just going to find somewhere else to be jerks. In retrospect, with the result, I feel like you can play out. Like, I imagine it like there's a house, and each house has like a themed area. People go to this place, and they'll go to their own theme. There's one room where people like to play drums, and there's one room where everyone just tells jokes, <laughs> and there's one room where like the naked people hang out, right? And if you're like, you know what, we're not into being the naked house anymore. Like, that's not really, we're just, we, we don't need this theme. This is not one of the themes we want. We're going to shut down the naked room. And, you know, we hope you guys will find another room you're comfortable in. Like, those people aren't equally likely to be nude somewhere else, even though that's their thing, mm -hmm. right? Because, eh, you get the other room. It's like, yeah, this doesn't seem like the behavior that's, like, encouraged or modeled or okay here. And so I guess everyone adjusts to the norm of the area they're forced to, right, on some level. It's closer to it, presumably. Yeah, and I think that kind of fits the Reddit pattern in the sense of there's a lot of Reddit where it's like people are sort of, you know, it's kind of internet culture in general. They almost start as like they're playing a part, right? You know, 4chan, you see this too, where it's like, oh, it's just funny to say really, really super offensive stuff, and we're just doing it for the lulls. And over time, you realize, or maybe not even over time, maybe it's obvious to somebody outside that it's not just jokes, you know, and they're not just joking and they're not just doing this because it's fun to say forbidden things. There's a core of something really evil in there that they actually believe. But, you know, you can see how in retrospect, after the study, it's easy to kind of read back and say, well, yeah, obviously these things are actually promoting this behavior. And like the study is the result I would hope for, yeah. but not necessarily the one I would have expected, you know, because I think I suspect you didn't actually make any of those people actually, you know, less hateful. They're probably still the same, you know, hateful, bad people. But by taking away, like you said, I don't know about the analogy of the naked room, by taking away the place <laughs> where it was encouraged, where it was celebrated, where they could not just, you know, say these things, but, you know, get tons and tons of people encouraging them and cheering them on for saying those things. And it was a competition to see who could say the most awful, evil, absurd thing. That's not surprising that by just taking away that venue, you reduce that activity. I would assume they've probably just gone somewhere else. Well, I think some do. I mean, that's what at least the pieces I read speculate that some of them are just going to shift to some chan somewhere or right. some other darker, grosser part of the internet. Like there's a continuum too, right? Like I think there's people who are going to do it as much as they're allowed to and find as many places to do it as they can, almost no matter what. And I also think there's other people who, you know, maybe for who knows what reason, get pulled in and get engaged in really awful, hateful, kind of borderline evil behavior. 
But if they're taken out of that environment and exposed to what's wrong with it, like some people learn what's wrong with what they're doing, right? You see like these, you know, ex horrible hate group people on television who are now advocates and work with communities and things. And I don't think everyone can be like that, but I think it's, it's interesting. I guess the first thing you worry about is it's going to be like, it'll just move. It's like the club, right? Remember the club that put on cars to help stop cars from getting stolen before every car had an alarm. Oh yeah. Like a little metal thing. And and the point of the club was not just that it locked the wheel. It was that it locked the wheel and criminals could see it. And so the point is you'll come to a car and be like, Oh look, that car's wheel won't turn. There's not much point stealing that car. But the club never reduced crime or crime even in your neighborhood. They just moved the crime to the next car over, right? Like it would just literally shift to the next closest car without a club. You just got them to steal someone else's car, which for you was fine. I assume that's what Reddit would have been worried about. And it sounds like that's not what happened. I mean, they kind of moved out of the neighborhood because there wasn't a good other venue. Well, Um, I think they did have a bit of a surge of these people in other subreddits, but the other subreddits didn't tolerate it. Right. So they were kind of weeded out. From people saying, hey, I know you did that in your own place, but it's not really what we want here. And I mean, I don't know, on some level, like that's what you hope for, for a society to evolve in general, is people keep getting thrust into a place with a better set of like patterns and model behaviors to say like, those things that used to happen in this country and this subreddit in this place, like they're not okay here anymore. But I don't know, I think it's also, it's interesting for Reddit, I think in particular, right? Because where our problems, ironically, when we talk about people feeling unwelcome, a lot of that's around, we have rules for a reason. Like we have rules, like we won't allow anything that we think is awful, but having all those rules creates some unfriendliness at a much lower level, but maybe broader. Reddit's thing's always been freedom, right? And that's kind of right. there. Like one of the subreddits that was banned was actually called Fat People Hate. Right. So <laughs> you're not right. going to find like a spectrum of people in there that are not for one specific purpose. And they've always had awful stuff. And in fairness, yeah. I think Reddit also has some of the like coolest like random acts of generosity on the internet. They do. And these like wacko like there's Reddits that like literally just send like pizzas to like kids in like the hospital or kids with cancer and stuff like but their whole thing has always been sort of anything goes except outing who people are is what they started from, right? And and threats, death like actual threats. But freedom brings awful, right? And they struggled. Who else had this Tumblr had this big struggle too where Tumblr really basically wanted to say like anything was allowed and we're never going to censor Tumblr. And what Tumblr got huge for was self-harm. There were all these young women talking about cutting themselves. And Tumblr had like this existential crisis. Like, what do we do about this? Because they didn't want to start picking what was censored and what was not censored. And ultimately they put that on the list like with threats. Like that's like just lumped in with. Anyway, it's a real challenge. When you start from the position, I think, of a lot of freedom of expression as the primary kind of thing you're optimizing for it's it's hard creates challenges it is a challenging problem i think a lot of and this applies to us as well but a lot of companies kind of cop out though with that with the like well we're Mm -hmm. just providing the forum and what people talk about is what they're going to talk about how do i say this those companies know perfectly well that they're making changes all day every day with the explicit goal of getting users to participate more Right. And so by providing this perfect mousetrap that keeps people coming back and makes them want to do more and more things and post more and more and vote on other people's stuff and get them to vote on their stuff, like they know perfectly well that they're creating a feedback loop to encourage that kind of activity. And so therefore, any activity which they allow on the site, they're causing there to become more and more of that. And so even if you said, well, just by shutting this down, they're just going to go somewhere else on the internet, that might be true, but they're probably going to go somewhere like that works a little bit less well than Reddit right? Like they're going to go to some crappy discussion forum thing. If all of the good sites, the big sites shut them down, you're at least, you know, forcing them to go to worse and worse software. I don't know if I'm expressing that well, 
Yeah, well, they have to downgrade, and same thing that happened to the Daily Stormer. Mm-hmm. They right. they were kicked Even off. Even if you so. force them to be hosted in you know in Russia, in Russia, at least like now they have to be hosted in Russia, and so everybody's experience who's not in Russia is that the site loads slower. Right? It's like you've at yeah. least made it a little bit worse for them and for everyone using them, and therefore you're discouraging that activity. And I get that it's hard for companies to know where well where do we draw the line, and it's all a slippery slope. But that doesn't excuse you from drawing some line. Like you can't just say, well, it's too hard a problem. We're not going to try to solve it at all. Yeah, and I think like all discussions on freedom of speech goes back to the XKCD cartoon, which is the best answer, which is like, I want to live in a society where freedom of speech, including relatively ugly speech that is not threatening, not dangerous, not harassing kind of specific people, is allowed by the government. But I also want to live in a society where most of the people with the other freedoms here choose to refuse to help participate or really allow it on or near their platform such that it is chased into dark corners where most people don't have to see it or even hear about it. Like, let's keep scuttling them off somewhere darker because responsible people really don't want to be a party to it, I think is like a healthy way to suppress dangerous behavior in an otherwise open society. The paradox of tolerance. Right, right. I think kicking them off platforms is really effective, too, because if they keep getting kicked off platform after platform, eventually what they're going to have to do is say, "Okay, if no one's going to host our speech, we're going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to build our own platform. And then they're going to be so distracted building their own like (laughs) WordPress or whatever it is that they're not going to have time to continue doing all of the terrible stuff that they want to do, because now they're lost in the nightmare of like creating yet another CMS on the Internet. (laughs) doesn't need. That's how we'll get all the racist and terrible people. We'll make them create a CMS. That's the best way to destroy anyone's soul. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. Like, that is exactly like the problem that Reddit is solving for the Internet is making this, you know, it's not they didn't invent some new form of speech. Right. They made it easier and they made it more fun and they made it more engaging. Right. And so by kicking these people off their platform, yeah, they may go back to 4chan or something. But 4chan is going to be a little bit worse for this than Reddit was. And that actually is just going to discourage that kind of activity. And yeah, I mean, you know, they probably won't get to the point where they have to implement their own WordPress site, but they may get to the point where they have to, you know, they're going to use some crappy knockoff Reddit clone, right? Which isn't going to be as good as the like, real Reddit and isn't going to be as front and center for everybody who uses Reddit and they see all the time, here's a subreddit you might like to join where you can be an awful person. So even if you just shift the discussion, it can have an impact. Yeah. Do we have another news item? We do. Can I hear it? You may. You may. Apple is drawing criticism for the design of its new iPhone Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. There's a new iPhone? There's three <laughs> new iPhones. What? Oh, my I, gosh. I cannot believe the press has not picked this up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's drawing criticism for the design of its new iPhone ten, specifically for its authentication system, which unlocks the device after scanning and confirming the user's face. Security and legal experts say Face ID could make it easier for others to force users to unlock their phones, including government agents, just border control. So the issue here, this is, if I recall correctly, there's an issue where I believe in the U.S. at least, the authorities can't force you to give them your password to look at your phone when you are detained because it's some kind of admission against interest or Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate yourself. But it's been determined because the police have control of your body, basically, to some extent, when you're in detention. They can make you put your finger on the touch ID has been a thing, right? That's what. And now what they're saying is there's not even that force thing. They can just like point it at your face. (laughs) Yep. And then look in the mirror. So they don't have to have a warrant for it. And they can look at all of your social media and all that type of stuff. So that one seems a little bit like 
there's something about the password solution there where we're like getting them on a technicality, right? Like we need to actually pass laws in the country and decide whether this is something that we want to be legal or not, right? The like, oh, well, making somebody type in their password is compelling speech and therefore not allowed by the government, but making them put their thumb on the touch ID isn't, right? Like that's a technicality, right? Or holding it up to their face, right? What we need to decide is whether the government can compel you to unlock your device and share this information with them, you know, without a warrant. I think it would probably have to be a different administration before well, I mean, anything <laughs> humane comes out of it that. It kind of seems like a joke, though. The sound of this sounds like a sketch. I feel like the right joke with the new phone is to walk up to everybody you pass, point the scanner at their face, and just say, Velor Morgales, and walk away. Like, that's the... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, on an individual basis, different people are going to have different different stresses, right? Different challenges with it. Or while you're sleeping, <laughs> could they yeah. do that while you're sleeping, or do your eyes have no, to? No, your eyes have to be open. Your eyes have to be open. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like an it's also a thing you have to enable, right? Yes, I mean, you yes. don't have to turn this thing on. It's only a problem, I suppose, if you don't like this but did like the Touch ID, which is to say, if you're happy putting in your password, like your primary thing is generally, I don't want my body in any form to be able to open this thing or someone else to compel me to. In both cases, you can revert back to only take a password. I guess the only loss in this evolution is there is not Touch ID, but there is the face recognition. So if you like that, but don't. Oh, did they like... actually take away Touch ID? Yeah, yeah, because there's no button. Oh, that's obnoxious. <laughs> no more all, home button. All screen, all the time. Oh, I didn't catch that. That is notch. annoying. I saw a really great tweet today that was a little attachment that goes into the bottom of the phone that's just the home button. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plug-in now. It was really good. I think on this one, I would love to hear like actual security experts weigh in on this. All I feel like I'm seeing right now is like, and I'm not an iPhone person, so I'm very much on the outside of this whole thing. I'm just, I'm sick of, oh, the new thing comes out and everybody is, you know, falling all over themselves to try to make the funny joke or talk about why this is the dumbest thing ever. And a fair amount of it is just, ah, they changed something. They moved my cheese. Yeah, yep. it's, it's moved my cheese reaction. Well, also, it starts at $999 for 64 gig. Yeah, Ridiculous. but they were so ahead of this because that's what everyone's like, are you going to get one? And I'm like, of course I'm going to get one. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why? And I'm like, because the way they set it up, they were like preparing for this. They were building up. And so they got a lot of us onto these plans where like, you don't buy an iPhone. They give you an iPhone. And then they like, they bill you like every month. I get a bill for $45. Yeah, you can and add then, it to your phone bill. Yeah, and then like after two years, it's my phone or something. But after one year, I can give them an old phone and they give me a new phone. And now I might have to pay like $51 or like it, it's set up where like the, the amount has been shrunk down into all these like little tiny death by a thousand cut bits. And those only go up by like a smaller. So you never have that moment of like, like I would, I can't imagine I'd ever pay a thousand dollars for a phone. Would I pay an extra couple of bucks a month for the magical phone? I don't know. For me, it's like beyond that already. It's the gall to ask for a thousand dollars. It's like more than people's rent for a phone. I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. I feel like, like you didn't see how revolutionary it. Didn't you see how revolutionary it was? They said but, revolutionary like a thousand times. Are you times. kidding me? Really? <laughs> but who? Like I, I can still know. pick up a landline and call someone. Like I can still go on a computer. What do I need a thousand dollar phone for? What's if it's a not landline? fourteen karat gold? But you don't have to buy it. I feel like all you people are all, you're all locked in this iPhone syndrome. The only phone that exists is iPhone. Like there are perfectly good Android phones out there that you can buy for a hundred bucks. And it is the phone that you want, but you know, Apple doesn't make it. So if they want to sell a high priced diamond encrusted phone to rich people, like, ah, 
you know, fine. Who cares? I'd like to take this moment to put in a plug for the iPhone SE, which I'm terrified is going to be discontinued because nobody buys it except for me and Steve Feldman. It's the tiny <laughs> iPhone for people with tiny yeah, hands. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the size of the Nano, features. isn't it? It's like... <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's the size of the old iPhone, market, isn't it? Opinion. Isn't that... It's, it's the size the... of the iPhone 5. Which is now which is now hilariously tiny ever since Apple increased the size and we can't imagine going back. Oh, is but... that it? Oh, that's the four. Anyway, so I think in conclusion, we can say it sounds like, Alana, you are going to be getting yourself an iPhone 10 <laughs> if I heard that right. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> I will never not call it iPhone X. It's but you see, the cooler. problem with that iPhone is then X. the next, it's... the sequel, they can't start calling them like the double X and the triple X. Like they're going to have problems. <laughs> so it's, it's got to be 10. <laughs> well, after X, they start like going to animal X. names and then it's national not... park names, right? Professor if it does the same thing That's as the right. computers That's did. That's right. It just gets super confusing. All right. You've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to the Stack Overflow podcast number 115, recorded Thursday, September 15th, 2017, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York City. This podcast has been brought to you by Oracle and the Scholastic Book Club, the only multi-level marketing scheme that uses your own public school system as its primary source of lead generation. Our audio engineer is Carlos Hernandez. Audio editor is David Greenlee. Technology concierge is Michael Rosa. Producer is Jess Pardue. Executive producer is Caitlin Pike. On behalf of Abby Mars, David Fullerton, Jess Pardue, Ilani Itsaki, and Joel Spolsky's secret fear of getting a cut from the serrated edges of dot matrix printer pages, I'm your host, <laughs> Jay Hanlon, and your homework for today is to tell someone one specific reason you think they're awesome. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. You're so mean. So mean. It's so mean. Yo, just one little issue and yes, I'm a bit impatient But I haven't waited all this time for more precipitation Like weather gods, there's just one little thought I'm trying to get across I don't expect things perfect, but at least just give me better odds You're so mean, so mean Similar to how you can be a professional so cycling mean, racer, so cycle racer, I almost said cycling racist which is a different thing <laughs> the word you're looking for is cyclone they're called cyclones <laughs> a professional cyclone on road races you know but then you're really good at riding a bike and doing so very quickly and doing so in tiny pants but then you come and try to do that in new york city you're still great at riding bikes but it's a completely different skill set because you're not are just you riding wearing a bike tiny in a straight pants line to get i lost to where i lost going. the thread there are you are you still wearing the tiny pants <laughs> yes Everyone's wearing the tiny pants all the time. Everyone? Is this like one of those things when you're doing public speaking, you imagine everyone in your underwear? When you're riding a bike, you imagine everyone in tiny pants? Everyone in their tiny pants, yes. Is there like an equation? Is there like a... A tiny pants equation? How big your pants can be before it's a problem? How big your pants can be?